Hi, and welcome to Third Waves. Third is a platform that amplifies underrepresented voices through print, events, and on the airwaves. We interrogate the intersections of culture and activism, bringing you interviews and discussions with guests who have knowledge and lived experience on the topic at hand. I am Daniela. I'm a writer, musician, and producer at Third. I'm Rona, stylist, creative director, and founder of Third. And I'm Tribe, DJ, radio host, and music editor at Third. On this episode, we will be discussing the ever provocative topic of cancel culture. At its best, an effective tool for boycotting, and at its worst, a term that has been referred to as an attack on freedom of speech and expression. How do we hold people and organizations accountable and separate the art from the artist? There are no clear answers, but we try to navigate some of these crosshairs on the show today and help you cancel more effectively in the future. Okay, so this episode is about cancel culture. Um, I thought to start off, like maybe we could just have a quick round of what that term actually means to you, like how you understand it. For me, it is a term that kind of invokes, I guess, uh, people rallying around uh, a particular issue or wrongdoing uh, by either a person, a mainstream figure, an organisation, or a group of people um, and actively condemning their actions or what they stand for and and saying it's not in line with their values and doing this by, let's say, not endorsing them financially, whether that's not listening to their music or watching their films or um, allowing them to have any platform of any sorts. Um, I think it has changed to mean a lot more over the time and has been co-opted by, uh, I guess, more right-leaning people as something that is, I guess, a negative in our society. Yeah, I think over the years, cancel culture has almost been smeared with quite a negative brush. But for me, when I think about what it can be in effect, I think it's about holding people to account And that's both the people who you're speaking out against. And also from a consumer side, it's asking people to think about the wider mechanics of things as opposed to supporting things which they might not necessarily actually believe in or want to support ethically. Yeah, I think for me, that accountability part is the the bit that I sort of always latch on to the most like someone you know something coming out that someone's done something not great and them just being fired from their job like you know somebody who's maybe like a public figure or a famous actor on the show like even if it's a lead you know that show getting cancelled because the lead is like they can't carry on with this person being representing the network or whatnot um yeah that's kind of kind of how I how I always engage with it the main one for me was Louis C.K. Um, I find him like I used to find his comedy well I mean it's still really good I guess but 
yeah, as soon as it came out that, you know, his strange behaviours and not understanding his power over over the people that he sexually harassed, I, I, I tried to, like, quite recently, I tried to watch some stand-up by him and it was just really uncomfortable. I felt like I could separate his work from him as an individual, but even going in with that open mind and it was watching something that had come out a bit previously, not like new material or anything, like stuff that I even knew, you know, I still couldn't, I just couldn't like, it just felt really uncomfortable to watch it. And it was just, yeah, it was just like, feels really in those kind of instances, like someone who's been, you know, inspiring and, and someone who you look up to from like an intellectual point of view, it just feels like really disappointing. And, and for that reason, I think, probably for a lot of people is like almost like quite a personal topic, even if it's you're not personally involved in these these situations. I don't know. How do you do you guys have any like personal stories or like heroes or any like experiences with it? Like Do you know what? I think it's quite interesting because uh as you were saying that I was thinking um there is as we will probably talk about it a bit, there is a line between um trial by public opinion um and reasons for genuine concern that that comes to light uh and that is still kind of left to public opinion because sometimes it's not consistent um one of the things that i think was quite interesting more recently i think i saw this week was lindsay ellis who is a youtuber uh, quite well known and she usually kind of puts out think pieces um on all sorts of topics uh, whether it's theater production or films or you know feminism and you know sexuality and all that kind of thing um and she said she kind of spoke about how she recently became a uh cancelled and she took it uh, took it as her own kind of um in her own way you know quite sarcastic and kind of deadpan in her response um and spoke about how you know the context of which she made her twitter comment um was completely misunderstood and when she reread it you could tell yeah this is a bit random and a lot was read into it and then loads of people on twitter just jumped and piled on it and then started digging out receipts of why she is for some people a racist and transphobic even though she had made made a video just like a couple of times before saying you know how she supports you know the trans movement and how she's against turfs you know and her beliefs and she then kind of proceeded to go through all the receipts because she's been on YouTube for about 16 years. And she was like, I am going to ding a bell and um, take a shot every time I believe a genuine apology is warranted and I will apologize. And so she <laughs> went through everything she's ever done. Um, even the ones where she's like, well, this is clearly someone misconstruing but okay cool I can see why that might be seen as that and it made me think about how the idea of cancel culture has become so pervasive in our I guess mainstream society where anyone feels like it can be victim of cancelling and then at the same time sometimes it can be seen as losing its weight because anyone can be cancelled and because it's um, something that I guess can be rallied around very quickly um, and, pe- and like I said, court of opinion by public people, it's very easy for people to kind of read into things and go, look, here's the reasons why you shouldn't like um, like Lindsay Ellis. So 
for me, I thought this topic was quite poignant um, just because having watched that video um, and she made a point that I'll bring up later on in this episode that I think kind of is one of the factors for why it's more pervasive in this time. Ooh, a teaser. Love it. Mm-hmm. A bit of a teaser. Um, I think for me, I've always questioned how accurate the word cancel is for certain individuals. Like I think sometimes people who uh, rally against or argue that they've been cancelled haven't actually been cancelled. In some instances, they've been corrected or they've been questioned or they've been asked to apologise. That is like, I would say my main sort of examples I pull towards the topic has always been instances where people are like, oh, you know, similarly, I know we're going to talk about JK Rowling, but JK Rowling is apparently cancelled. And I would argue that she largely isn't. It's more this question of, is that actually an accurate way of describing what people are doing? If people are just asking you to think about what you've done, um, that's been my biggest sort of entrance into the topic. Yeah, okay. Well, maybe before we get like more like specifically into the idea of like boycotting and what it actually means like someone being cancelled and, and all that kind of stuff, I just wanted to like go over some of the areas that cancel culture kind of touches with. Um and I think notably like the the Me Too movement is one that I feel like is probably the, the loudest um overlap in a way to this because I think as cancelling cancel culture at its best is a kind of a shorthand of just talking about boycotting something that you don't agree with. I think with the intersection of the Me Too movement, that has been one of the um, ways in which organisers and activists have tried to rally people behind a message or behind, yeah, boycotting someone, basically. I'm thinking of the Mute R. Kelly movement and you know, the the founder of me, the Me Too movement is like really behind that. And But what's quite odd about it all is that then it kind of falls into a space where it intersects with like political correctness. Um, I know, Rona, you recently like came across this funny situation with someone that you worked with who like made an innocent joke about something and they were worried about being cancelled, right? Yeah, I think if you're a celebrity, you're almost afraid of saying the wrong thing now there's various ways in which i feel like things can be cancelled and the terminology is used in various ways so for example i was i was just thinking about how if we could we cancel or could we consider the montgomery bus boycott of the 1950s when african americans decided they are not going to be getting on buses and not using the um i guess using their economic power to support an organisation or company that is not going to allow them to the equal rights on a bus um, and, you know, rallied around finding various ways. So in a weird way, I was thinking that could be seen as an, an, a form of cancelling. You're cancelling the Montgomery bus buses. Um, it's just that right now we have the internet with Twitter and social media to rally around and make that more of a quicker thing. Um and another thing that I was thinking about as well is in terms of the different ways in which we frame cancelling um, is like 
uh, international government sanctions, for example. Like we recently did an episode on SARS, check it out if you haven't, um, and where, you know, because of what the government was doing in Nigeria, you know, um, this caused a lot of, I guess, conversation online. And although people aren't necessarily calling for cancelling Nigeria, there was a conversation about whether the UK and other Western countries should put in sanctions, um, economic sanctions, to kind of show their uh, overt disapproval of what the Nigerian government was doing. So it just makes me think about the term cancel, whether we, the way that it's been, I guess, used, is it where, like, let's say the right wing using it in a kind of negative way because if they don't like the way that, you know, Twitter and other spaces are rallying around certain people's behaviours, but then failing to see how in general in society, in various ways, we do show our disdain or we do cancel organisations or groups of people or even countries in various ways. I think it's really interesting that you actually highlighted how the civil rights movement, we could see that as an act of cancellation, right? And that's what they attempted to do. And I think it's really interesting just because at the moment, what I almost feel gets labelled as cancel culture is these instances that happen online that, that usually tend to happen in a sphere like Twitter or Instagram, some sort of social media network where something is said or something is done and there's this whole outcry of people speaking about it and maybe responding to the person, expressing their disdain for what has happened. And sometimes those instances are perceived as oh, the beginning or or the act of cancelling. Whereas if you think about the, the two examples that you just gave there with the civil rights movement and, Daniela, also when you were talking about the Me Too movement, um, actually the internet space has served a purpose in that maybe it's drawn people's attention to an issue at hand, maybe it's rallied people's support, maybe it's got people together. But it's only been the beginning, you know? There's been like whole massive efforts that have happened alongside that, which have led to these things. And I'm really and truly, I'm thinking about, just because we're speaking about the Me Too movement, I'm thinking about R. Kelly and also Weinstein. So if you think to yourself, okay, those are two people who you can effectively say have to some extent for like quite large crimes. But you think to yourself, well, what went into that happening? It took months of people, high profile people coming out and speaking consistently and consecutively over like months for that to happen. And so if you're talking about real life cancellation, (laughs) I think that is a stronger effort than we perceive it to be at the moment where it's, it's, I just feel like cancel culture is used synonymously with this outcry uh, to just like liberals moaning. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to also kind of draw the connection that um, cancel culture has come from African-American vernacular and has been, you know, co-opted by, I guess, mainstream culture in various ways, um, some for good, some for questionable reasons. Um, And like I was saying before, certain spaces provide, like the technological advances of social media and things like that have provided the ability to do that more effectively and kind of call out someone's behaviour that they don't seem um, as being right for their money. You know, we're not going to endorse this. Um, Whilst in the past, that power 
balance was not there. You know, uh, not to say that we now live in an equal society just because we have social media, but people's voices can be amplified a lot more. Um, so it's very easy for us to kind of talk about it. And I guess we should definitely caveat the fact that we're all people of colour, we're all women. Um, and seeing that power, uh, seeing that that power can be given on a platform, on social media, to the ordinary person to call out a behaviour that might have gone unnoticed or uncalled out, if that's a word, in the past. Um, so there is positives to that. And I guess from our perspectives, we probably would have a certain level of, I guess, qualified bias to be for it to a certain extent. If I think about like people who strike me as being the most vocal against sort of council culture in the UK, I'm always thinking of people like Piers Morgan who is to some to some extent he's created a whole personality and career with being sort of like anti-political correctness hasn't he and being that person who is um always going to say the thing that you're not supposed to say I get what you mean um he there is a movement uh, around certain figures and I don't want to stereotype the kind of figures that you find but I'm sure we can all kind of conjure up who that might be but public figures who hark back to a time when you could say whatever you want and not get you know offend offend anyone around you and that kind of speaks to the power dynamics of the old and the new in the sense of like in the past there wasn't platforms for people to be like actually you saying redskins um or naming your football you know american football team redskins is problematic, you know, they, that platform wasn't there before. And so there's a loss for those kind of people where they did have that power and no backlash. And now there's, uh, I guess, a zeal for people on the other side where they do now have the platform and the ability to call things out. Hmm. I think there's such a huge nostalgia for it though. His book, Piers Morgan's book, which is maybe titled something like A Plea Against Woke Culture, has gone to number one in the UK. And you just think to yourself, wow, that's the world we're still living in when people will like buy into that whole idea that they're being oppressed because other people are asking them to consider an opposing side of view or, 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 or correcting them and telling them that actually some of these things that they say nonchalantly are quite damaging and, and hurtful towards others in society. Yeah, but what's almost quite disturbing to me is that like these examples of these type of almost like stereotypical characters are obviously critiquable in the framework of what we're talking about um you can very like yeah you can just obviously pinpoint like why that's like problematic as much as that word is almost losing its power as well now but there are also like more subtle flavors of that outcry against these new like not restrictions or anything, but I'm just thinking of that open letter on Harper's that was signed by, you know, over 150 like academics and writers, including J.K. Rowling and Noam Chomsky. And I mean, some people have since have since retracted their, their signatures, but I just remember coming across that letter and reading it. And, you know, like this is very much my opinion and I'm not, certainly not like made up my mind about it but you know how sometimes when you read something and it's just like it just doesn't make sense like it's like 
it doesn't have a leg to stand on and the language just almost like falls apart as you read it. That's how I felt when I was reading it. I didn't feel like, okay, I can get behind the, the logic and the argument of this. I'm just like, I can't make it through the fog of what you're trying to say here because this just doesn't make sense. And and that is something that falls into the space of like, oh, cancel culture is going to, you know, hinder open debate and freedom of speech. And it kind of just comes back to what you were saying, Rona, about like, but are these people actually being cancelled? What are we talking about? People getting their feelings hurt on Twitter, or are we talking about people being able to remunerate from their like commercial work? Right. I have, I have an example that I, thought, I think could, I guess, show uh, what I think basically is that sometimes online we sometimes do lose the nuances of a situation. So an example of that was that woman on Twitter who um, worked for some kind of charity organization, was like a public relation or media person for an organization. Um, And she was getting on a flight to, I think it was South Africa or something like that. And she tweeted before she was boarding, hey, I'm going to Africa for the first time or something like that. Hope I don't catch AIDS. And she meant it sarcastically. But by the time she got off that flight, she had been cancelled. When I say cancelled, they had doxed her. People on Twitter had found her address. She had been, or I think she had already been fired. <laughs> she, there was, it was trending on Twitter like, um, when would that person get off the plane? So everyone was waiting for her arrival so that she to see her um, reaction. There was a, someone who turned up at the airport to capture her response on discovering <laughs> what's happened. Um, but the background background story to it was she was critiquing and taking the mick out of those kind of um, Western small minded perspectives of going to Africa. And she was saying it sarcastically. However, that nuance didn't get translated because people who knew her, who personally followed her, she only had like 300 Twitter followers, um, knew that she was being sarcastic. However, by the time that tweet had been spread, like it kind of harked back to those small minded perspectives that people kind of were felt, I guess, to a certain extent, triggered by uh, and didn't understand where her angle was. Not to say what she she had said was correct, but just to kind of, I can see how nuances get lost in spaces like social media. Mm. But I, yeah, that obviously for that person is quite um, tragic because you can see why some people... Like, it's hard to be funny over social media if you're not, you know, some things actually, I think my, one of my, stu- my studio mate always says this, but like, just put it in a group chat. It doesn't have to be on your Twitter feed. What Over WhatsApp, everyone knows you in, you know, <laughs> this public domain or social media, they don't. So that is an unfortunate lesson for her to have to have learned. But there have also been instances where people have done some of these sort of like passively violent things and they've had an outcry like a similar thing has happened I think it's almost been a tiny bit deserved because some of these you know racism and sexism and homophobia is also a casual affair and it those casual instances really affect people's lives. And the the instance I'm thinking of is this woman said she was in the States somewhere 
And she said she was on a train and she saw a woman who was a worker for the train service eating a sandwich on the train. So she took a picture of this woman, which to a certain extent is kind of like an invasion of her privacy and put it online and was kind of like, oh, workers these days eating on the train. Don't worry. I told her manager. It was something to that effect. And she kind of almost obviously put it on her profile because she wanted to be like, you know, congratulations to me sort of thing. But the complete opposite happened where people were like, you know, number one, this woman's a human. She's fair enough. She works on the train, but she's just clearly eating her lunch because she's hungry. Like you don't know her backstory. And then you went and and you reported her to her boss that's quite a violent act in itself so basically what you're doing here is you as someone who's taking transport have decided that this person who works who has quite a working class job doesn't deserve it because they ate a sandwich sandwich on the subway and people all sort of like you know rallied against this and it was quite funny because then this woman's story completely changed and she was like oh you know, she started to defend herself and she was like, oh, you know, it's unfair that people are, this has happened to me, you know, because I think what then happened was that this tweet got so big that her workplace saw it and she was subsequently fired. And she was like, I can't believe this has happened to me. But it was, for me, that was the complete, what she did to that person happened to her or what she tried to do to that person kind of happened to her and it's like sometimes these instances are so like they're so commonplace and they seem very innocuous but they can be quite harmful to other people's lives so it's good to to let people learn and unfortunately sometimes it escalates massively you know but I'm personally just impressed that you managed explain like casual homophobia sexism and racism through like a sandwich <laughs> which is yeah pretty in- incisive no I think that's that, that's really true though because I feel like quite often I don't know if you guys have this experience but quite often when you call out someone who's made a joke that has a slight homophobic or um sexist racist undertone to it regardless of whether it was funny or not like when you call that out more often than not, what comes back is like, oh, no, it's only a joke or like it, it, the person becomes very defensive very quickly. And then the owners immediately flips on to you for having been aggressively like calling it out. I'm not by any means someone who's going to go around and say there are things you can or can't joke about. But I think it, there is an element of like craft and what is the actual purpose of the joke? Like, is it actually clever? What does this serve? Because comedy is an art. And I've def- you've definitely been to, like, comedy, like, stand-up um, gigs where there's been, like, a comic who just attacks the members of the audience and, like, comes across as really aggressive and that's their line of humour. And it's not funny. It's not clever. Whereas there are people who are doing, like, more clever, subtle things. But it's, like, there are some topics that's just, like, very touchy and... And you need to go into that line. Like, if you want to make a joke about it, you better be ready. Like, someone's going to ask you questions about it, right? Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's one of the... People have been saying how uh, comedy is one of the last bastions of um, safe havens against cancel culture and that, you know, you should be able to say whatever you want. But I agree with you, Daniela. I think the whole point of comedians is to kind of 
almost to sometimes catch the audience in their blind spots, tell a punchline that they weren't expecting, um, have a certain level of intelligence be able to be able to command an audience and to command where their mind sees the joke. And in order to do that, you need to understand the communities that are going to be sitting in the audience or the communities around you that you're telling a joke about. And it doesn't make sense to kind of have these basic jokes where a marginalized or a group is the butt of the joke and you're not telling anything smarter. Like we're, we're in an age where you can, you know, like I, I always like Chris Rock because when he tells his jokes, he's often, often critiquing society. He's kind of bringing some kind of nuance or knowledge to a concept that makes you kind of realize how ridiculous something that we take for granted in society is. Um, and I think that is on the comedian to be able to do that. And like you said, it's an art and it shouldn't be, we shouldn't give them a scapegoat of being able to tell lazy jokes. I don't think um, that argument sticks basically. But to your point, Rona, about cancel culture and in terms of being able to, I guess, highlight those microaggressions that I guess in society often went missed, kind of like what I was saying before. It reminds me of a Will Smith quote where he says, um, racism is not like getting more, what was it? Racism is not getting worse, it's just getting recorded. Um, and so what's happening is people are recording it, putting it, like I said, onto social media, those microaggressions, those comments, those, you know, ideas that weren't before being able to be shared and stuff. Um, and I think where people who have never been called out overtly before, they have free speech and they're putting these comments online or some of the things they're doing behind closed doors is coming out to the open. And yes, they do have free speech, but today we have repercussions when that information comes out, you know? Um, And it does remind me of like the whole George Floyd, you know, it was a 17 year old at the time who happened to record what was happening and put it online. And the repercussions of, what's his name, Derek Chauvin's actions are now being felt. Um, So I think to a degree, those people like Piers Morgan who are cry about the fact that, you know, um, we no longer are able to do these things or whatever. No, it's more that it's being, it's being put on platforms or we are seeing it and we have the platforms to say, no, we don't agree with it. Yeah, I think for me, sometimes council culture feels like it's quite good in getting people to acknowledge really passive acts of violence. And sometimes if we connect this to what happened with JK Rowling, sometimes this is almost packaged in the idea that it's just someone's opinion or, you know, it's like, it's always presented as being a neutral for some people, but actually for a lot of people, if it affects their day-to-day existence their real life that is kind of like an act of violence and I think for some people as well the outcry against council culture comes from this desire to like deny the fact that people are actually affected in certain ways by their words um, for the for, for the our audience who might not know what J.K. Rowling um, is embroiled in do you mind just giving a quick explanation of that 
Well, yeah, I think she's been accused of lots of transphobia packaged in sort of friendly feminism, where she basically tried to state that trans women aren't women, really. Yeah. yeah. And she's written a letter about this. People have reached out to her and asked that she stops basically propagating these ideas, but she's continued. It's interesting because she she defends these ideas based on some of her past trauma with men. And so she kind of, within that, kind of promotes these ideas about, like, um, these stereotypes, harmful stereotypes, about how, you know, if we do start treating any man who declares himself to be a woman as a woman, and then they start going into toilets that are identified for females, anything can happen, which is offensive all round for everyone <laughs> with that stereotype. But it's, again, kind of like what you're saying, sometimes when people present these ideas as just their opinion, it has real life repercussions. And when people say about whole, whole woke culture and people just being offended easily and rare, rare, rare it, it really does miss the point that when you say things about communities, it has an effect on those communities. And it's not just a simpleness of, oh, I'm, I'm left wing, I'm right wing or whatever. It's, about you know how people move through the world and I think it's only certain privileged kind of groups of people who don't understand that and see that because they're unaffected but they just have opinions on these groups of people yeah and with someone like J.K. Rowling I guess like yeah maybe it's a personal opinion and maybe in Harry Potter there's not there isn't any like trans exclusionary sentiment coming through Harry Potter but at the end of the day her Twitter followership is going to be like so much larger than another random person like or not everything you say on twitter is like a public announcement and it's not just twitter she like uh, published that open letter uh i think in an art as an article or something like that, in a newspaper or something or online or somewhere um so she was almost declaring her, her opinion and that's what kind of faced a lot of backlash so it wasn't even like at first it was just her tweets and people were kind of commenting like hey this is not cool and then she kind of stood firmly and dug her heels in, you know, on that perspective or opinion. Um, but it's, it, the repercussions of that has been like, I think even last week or so, um, one of her publishing companies for her new book, the workers said that they are going to work, uh, walk out if, you know, her books get printed by that publishing company. So there has been a wider backlash. I don't know whether... People are going to stop reading her books or it's going to impact her to the extent, like you said, Rona, whether she can truly be cancelled. I don't know. But there are acts of um, not defiance, but, you know, making their voices heard about not agreeing with her perspectives or opinions. That's difficult. Do you cancel the art or do you cancel the artists? But the two are inextricably linked when it's... Well, the person is still alive, especially. And yeah, going back to like, you know, we were talking about R. Kelly before. When the allegations first came out, the listening numbers for his tracks went up, right? And, you know, that was before Spotify times. But like, I mean, when the first allegation came out. But, you know, the way that like Spotify works, for example, is that by the number of streams, the artists get paid. So, so the more people are listening to it, the more they get paid. And it's like, if someone 
if someone's being accused of something and you're like, oh, I don't remember this person's music. Let me have, let me just check it out. I'll be like, oh, that's actually really good. Not necessarily talking about Kelly in particular, just like anyone. Then what happens is that like actually money is literally flowing into that person's pocket. And so it's just like very multi-layered. But with someone like, you know, J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter was, was great, right? Like, is that a book that we are going to buy for our niece and nephews and children in the future? Yeah, it's true. It makes me think about Michael Jackson and when those allegations around his, uh, I guess, conduct in the 80s and 90s came out. The question is, was someone who's so ingrained in American culture, African-American culture, music history, you know, how far do you go in one? Should he be cancelled because he wasn't he wasn't there to be able to defend himself? And there were shown to be inconsistencies with some of the allegations that were made. Um, And then two, because he's so ingrained in our history and culture, how do you counsel someone like that? You know, you can't, you know, without Michael Jackson, you won't have so many artists and like so many people have taken influence, not even just by his uh, music, but even by his clothing style and everything. So when someone's so ingrained like that, it's very hard to just kind of scrub them out of the history books as they did in the Egyptian times. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think the only thing you can really do in that instance is to tarnish. You know, to a certain extent, I think once your name is attached to things and if you're not still here, your reputation is slightly tarnished. Yeah. But then if you can't, like, at this point, it's the people who have made those allegations word against someone who's dead. I mean, it's a bit harder. I mean, it's harder, for example, than comparison to Churchill, who like literally wrote in his like history books, you know, this is what I will do to the brown skin man or whatever, you know, and, you know, we actually know unequivocally that's, you know, what he did. Um, but with Michael Jackson, it's very hard to kind of go, okay, your reputation's tarnished because we are cancelling you to a degree because of what these allegations have said about you, although you're not alive to defend or there is no necessary proof of what happened behind closed doors. Yeah, I agree. I think Michael Jackson is a very difficult one. But say like someone like Jimmy Savile, for, say for example, I'm sure he would have been remembered by people as being such an amazing, like iconic symbol of an era and unfortunately now people you know people want to forget (laughs) him in a few ways so yeah yeah speaking about um scrubbing things from the history books um we were talking about gone with the wind and talking about confining it to the historical archives and I just looked it up and there's actually been like tv channels or archives that are like pulling it from their like, you can't actually watch, like, even though they have all the classics, in quote marks, like, Gone with the Wind is not part of that catalogue because of how problematic it is. So it's like, I think it can happen, and maybe it should. I don't know. It's a hard thing because I think with the argument with Gone with the Wind, because, again, the contribution film-wise and the, the historical legacy of it in terms of um, what it means. It's the highest selling film of all time um, to completely scrub that, as, you know, HBO have, has said they would, that they will do. I don't know if they'll continue to do it because from when I read it, they said they'll do it temporarily whilst everything is all heated. 
um, it's it's about weighing how much is the harmful depiction of, let's say, African Americans in that um, film. Does that outweigh the contribution or the enjoyment gained from the film? Um, when I have had conversations with some kind of film nerds, they were like, yes, we recognise that it is harmful, but the film's contribution and the enjoyment I get from the film is much more. Um, and then there was the conversation about whether we should kind of put a lot of context around things like that, kind of like what they do in museums, where it's like, oh, this item was stolen from this country. And, you know, where you, you put the caveat and the asterisks around it so that it's better understood. Um, where I fell on that is we need to be in a place in society where we can receive that information and better understand the context and the history around it. And unfortunately, we're only beginning these conversations. So whether that asterisk around Gone with the Wind would be understood or whether it would perpetuate those harmful stereotypes is where the issue lies. Yeah, you're right. I've just live looked it up again, like live researching about the topic we're talking about. But you're right. It's been now it's back on HBO Max. And it has a disclaimer that says film um, in quote denies the horrors of slavery. But it's like, I don't know, it's kind of that's also weird in a way. It's almost more telling that that disclaimer needs to be there on the state of affairs. And, and similarly with like the, the artifacts in the museums, I mean, this is probably not how they word it, but if you like put an artifact next to it, it's just like, oh yeah, this was stolen. <laughs> it's like, just put it back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that, that's a whole topic for another episode. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, last time we talked about this, one thing that I thought was really interesting, what you said, Tribe, was about the who who be the judge of whether something needs to be cancelled or not. And I'm not talking about individuals necessarily, because obviously, like, if it's, like, sexual harassment or abuse or whatever, that's, like, in the realm of law. But in the realm of Gone with the Wind, for judging whether a piece of work, like a piece of creation art, um, yeah, is causing offence or problematic, like, who are the people who judges that? And that's where it comes back to the trial by public opinion uh, and the idea that the power has shifted onto lay people who would otherwise be consumers or engage with an artist of any sort uh, or public figure to kind of decide, actually, I'm not going to endorse this because of the information that I now know on this person, whether it's private life or the way that they act within their work sphere. But the question comes into that again, whether... Because again, what I said about nuances, in some cases, it's clear cut and yes, they should be cancelled. And in some cases, it's like, do we know enough information or is has the information been collected and all the nuances understood via social media or whatever platform that we've collected the information to be able to make that decision? It's quite interesting. I think the onus a lot of the time is on people from the marginal groups actually just speaking up a lot of the time these art forms or individuals have come to their heights because in in like wider society other people cheer them on I'm thinking about the article I shared with you guys about Dr Sayers when I think the body that prints Dr Sayers has decided because some of his uh books include kind of like 
racist, orientalist tropes and stuff like that, they weren't going to print certain editions. And so they record loads of the, basically they just stopped printing them. But I think people who had read Dr. Satis in the past and were obviously like a fan of the books decided to buy. The selling price for those books became so high and the value of it became so high. And there was this mad rush to to support that form of representation because they don't see the problem with it. So sometimes the public, I feel like it is, there are always people who are opposing that. And sometimes they speak loudly and sometimes they don't. In some instances, it's like, it's almost like, you know, a legislation body or someone can maybe decide that this shouldn't be shown anymore. And people almost outcry against it. And they're like, no, we want to keep this thing, even though it may be damaging or hurtful to others in society because they don't care. Yeah. Um, just for our audience listening out there, um, I th- you're referring to Dr. Seuss, right? Yeah, sorry. I always say Dr. Seuss. <laughs> yeah, it's weird sometimes the backlash against, uh, I guess, cancel culture and things like that, where there is a segment of society who's like, no, we're going to stand for it. Like, you know, um, we stand for free speech and we're now going to buy up all these books or we're now going to buy J.K. Rowling's, you know, it's quite weird how this has become politicised as opposed to understanding it for what it is, as in, for example, the fact that, like I said before, oppressed or marginalised communities are affected by these things. Um, and, yeah, so your story, Ronit, just... It, it, those are the kind of stories that annoys me. Because <laughs> it's just like, why are you explicitly going out your way to, you know, to even almost bring that down, you know? No one really benefits from it, apart from your voice being heard, that you're for archaic books being orientalized and um you know using words that aren't appropriate for today yeah almost on the flip side of that i think like tribe you were talking about almost how inconsistent sometimes people can be as to what they actually criticize i probably have been guilty of this that we focus quite a lot on the individual who's propagating the idea without, you know, spending more time focusing on, like, what is the actual problem behind it? And Yeah, I I think sometimes, and this is where the risk of trial by public opinion can happen, where one particular artist would be called out, when I say artist, let's give an example of a musician, let's say R. Kelly, is called out, he's cancelled, everyone knows what he's done, everyone's annoyed. But in the same vein, Trace songs could kind of go, you know, with the same kind of allegations or similar allegations, but because the spotlight isn't so much on him or because the appeal or the disgruntlement is not there in the public opinion, those same kind of wrongdoings can be overlooked. So sometimes you get inconsistencies with who everyone rallies against. Um, And it's like, are you standing against the thing that they did and if so cons- like consistently go against it all the kind of uh, I guess pedophiles or is it more that this particular artist and the shock of this artist and you know the rallying around this artist and the fact that it's kind of snowballed yeah
I'd love to move on to talk a little bit about like how we can be more effective in our cancelling and also some tips for how to uncancel yourself. I'm sure like all the people who are getting cancelled are listening to this podcast and want to hear our advice. So <laughs> yeah, I guess the the thing about like focusing in on the topic and being consistent about that is like something that's been really eye-opening for me because I think it is easy to be swept into almost like a mob mentality of just getting angry and I don't think there's anything wrong with that I think if you if you if if you feel anger there's probably a good there's probably a reason where that's coming from but it's more like examining what that is and laser focusing it on the on the thing that needs to be actually looked at and I don't know I think ultimately the financial remunerations is the place that you kind of need to look at like if a company is doing something that you disagree with like as a consumer how how much energy how much effect can you have on let's say the CEO who's made those decisions probably not that much what's gonna not saying that it's not gonna do any good to public name them but you know just boycotting their products not not buying from those brands is maybe a more effective way yeah not paying a cinema ticket to go watch a Harry Potter movie yeah it's weird because for example as a person who we as in we've all grown up with the knowledge of slavery and the impacts of slavery but in the same vein I guess we still consume chocolate you know or um, we still might buy Nike products and still um, use Johnson & Johnson products, you know? It's, it's very hard to know how to be thoroughly consistent with your values. And I guess cancel culture is our small way of doing it. But again, I guess it ties into our, our consistency, because if we genuinely stand for some of these things, are, you know, are we going to really go the whole hog and really cancel some of these things that we generally have an attachment to? Or are we going to pick and choose the ones that are easier to pick up? I feel like it's more effective if you want to cancel something to just think about what it is that you actually want and to focus your interests there. Because a lot of these things which we are maybe against, theoretically, still exist in the world and they're sort of like unchallenged. That sort of highlights to me the fact that like cancelling isn't always effective. For me, cancel culture, it's so tied to this whole idea of the internet and what speaking out about something that you do not like, which I think is, and it's usually targeted a lot of the time towards individuals. But actually, if we thought about it on a wider scale and we consistently thought about what is that we do not want and went to what we do want and actually rallied for what we do want, I think that would be a a more effective way of, of doing that. So just because a lot of brands, a lot of people are copycats to, to what they can see is working. If we're all buying from sustainable brands, then I'm sure the ones which are like exploiting people would follow that trend. It's a really good point because what you're talking about is it's more effective to champion the things that you believe in mm. than campaigning to get something else cancelled because if we talk about like economics and then if you're putting your money behind an ethical brand that maybe costs a bit more whatever but like you know you're not buying like 10 pairs of trainers you're just buying one and wearing those for two years then that money your money you've you've voted with your wallet in the sense of like you championed this other thing which you believe more in 
Mm. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that is literally that is literally what I'm saying. But I'm just also then linking it to the act of what council culture is so tied to, which is just like this mass outrage against a person. Maybe I'm being a bit too idealistic here. I'm seeing the next step, which is that to a certain extent, if we didn't condone men creating rapey music, maybe R. Kelly would have been allowed to just, you know, he wouldn't have been so successful. His anthology of work had stuff in it anyway that was quite weird and we all kind of laughed and joked about it. But if we were supporting people who were kind of the polar opposite of that anyway. Like you and Daniela have said, it's channeling our values and beliefs towards the brands or the oppositional things that support the ideas and values that we have. And I think as much as there's sides for and against cancel culture, cancel culture is, as an approach, effective in doing it. I guess the question is who we are targeting and why we are targeting them and whether we are doing it consistently. Um, So when you have identified those values and beliefs being able to apply it consistently in your approach to what you consume. Remind me, Daniela, of what your question was. I have no idea at this point. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, we were talking around how to approach cancelling someone, something effectively. And I guess I'm asking that question in quite a tongue-in-cheek sort of way, really. And I think you guys are definitely answering to that. Just like taking it into more the realm of people who who might feel targeted or like being called out that humility around like actually listening because we were talking about getting to the heart of the problem right approaching it consistently that takes a lot of research and patience and fine-tuning and I think on the flip side of that as a person who's maybe being challenged that's also the same approach that you that humility of really listening to what the problem is and how to dissect it rather than just, yeah, getting very defensive. I just have one example that I kind of wanted to pull out, which is an example of someone who's genuinely engaged with the critique in the whole, like, Me Too situation. But Dan Harmon, who is the creator of Rick and Morty and, like, Community, and was accused of sexually harassing this woman called Megan Gantz, who worked for him. It was obviously very difficult for her, but I think what happened was that, like, she kind of just put on Twitter, or she's like, if you're that sorry, because I think he he issued an apology of some kind, and she was just like, if you're that sorry, what are you even sorry of, or something? I can't remember the original thing, but they basically engaged in, like, a public conversation where he was just very genuinely wanting to understand and genuinely repeatedly apologising very in a very heartfelt way. And I think that is the reason why I can still watch Rick and Morty and I can, I can watch Community now. Going back to the beginning when I was talking about Louis C.K., when I go back to watch his stuff, it's not like I'm, you know, as an activist, trying to not boycott him from me paying money to watch his stuff. I don't really have an opportunity to watch his stand-up live anyway I physically I feel uncomfortable when I watch it whereas when someone's genuinely tried to atone what they've done like Dan Harmon I feel like I can still approach his work his art yeah without feeling nauseous basically and I I agree with that I feel like there's two points to be taken from that I think sincere apology trying to make amends for their actions or to kind of right a wrong in some way but then also, I guess, that through council culture, there's also scope, depending on what they've done, to kind of make right 
the wrong. You know, like there's some people where they did mess up or they had tweeted something 20 years ago um, out of ignorance and they, like Kevin Hart, you know, said really ignorant things that would be classed as homophobic. Although he was quite firm in the fact that he didn't want to apologise, I think he can later kind of genuinely took on board the criticisms and did kind of issue an apology, but also made it clear like that was 10 years ago. Uh, And through that, I think there was scope for him to be, I mean, people can question whether he was ever cancelled, but there was scope to kind of engage with his art or his work again, because it was like, there's scope to be forgiven if one, what they did was ages ago and it wasn't up to the degree of, let's say, Harvey Weinstein or whatever, Bill Cosby. And there was a genuine apology and acknowledgement of wrongdoing and, you know, uh, engagement with maybe the offending party, as you said, with the guy who made Rick and Morty. Yeah, I do think something needs to be said about distinguishing what the person actually did as well and how there's a difference between saying something ignorant and slipping up and still harmful, but acknowledging what you did and, and correcting it than like being someone who's consistently going out their way to say things that are harmful towards another group in society. Yeah, that in itself is another line, I think, with engaging with an artist, because I think we can all understand to a certain extent we are all human and we all make mistakes and having an opportunity to be able to learn about something you may have not known before can be part of the apology or the retribution but there are some people who no matter how many times you explain to them they deny so I think that's a different category of artists yeah good point the difference between a a slip up or a, a period of ignorance that you then educate yourself on versus just consistently campaigning for a message mm. that then people are like, okay, we're going to have to boycott you because this is just getting out of hand kind of thing. For the extended version of this show with a selection of great music, tune in on Mixcloud or on Soho Radio. Thank you again for tuning in to Third Waves and stay tuned online at Third Magazine on Instagram. That's Third with three eyes. I'm Daniela. I'm Tribe. I am Rona.